Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Very glad you're with us for the Wednesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We do not have a bad martini for you today, so uh, that's very happy. We have two goods and a crazy. And Jim, if the first one actually comes to pass, as it seems more and more likely that it's going to, that's going to be worthy of a grand celebration. And if you're going to have a grand celebration, you might as well uh, center it around Omaha Steaks. Uh, Omaha Steaks are a fantastic sponsor of ours. Grateful to have them. And I'm happy to say they have phenomenal steaks and burgers and chicken and sides. So, so good. Uh, just uh, recently, as I've, as I've said several times, we had the bacon-wrapped filet mignon, which is just as amazing as you would imagine. And uh, also the Omaha Steaks burgers. Very, very good. Tender, juicy, lots of flavor. The chicken's fantastic. The au gratin potatoes. Love it all. The holidays are here and you want to get that perfect gift, but it can be tricky. Omaha Steaks makes it easy. Go to omahasteaks.com and enter martini into the search bar and save over 50% when you order the perfect gift package. Yeah, 50%, but you got to do it now for $99.99. You'll get the world-famous bacon-wrapped filet mignon, chicken breast, jumbo frank, sides, desserts, and so much more. And when you use the code MARTINI, you'll not only save 50%, you'll also get an additional eight Omaha Steaks burgers free. Omaha Steaks is ready to ship right away. Avoid the holiday shipping hassle and shipping delays and order the perfect gift package today at omahasteaks.com. And remember, eight free burgers when you use MARTINI in the search bar. omahasteaks.com, keyword MARTINI, omahasteaks.com. Dot com keyword martini. All right, Jim, we've wished for this day. We hope it's here. It doesn't seem like it's quite official yet, but it definitely seems like it's headed that way. Uh, tweets this morning from two people who uh, certainly don't have a conservative axe to grind, you wouldn't think. Uh, one is from NBC News and one is from CNN. Leanne Caldwell over at NBC tweeting out uh, at 11.34 Wednesday morning, Eastern Time. Big news. Schumer is likely to push a vote on the Build Back Better plan until next year, according to four sources familiar with the leader's plans. Uh, He doesn't have the votes as Manchin remains noncommittal. She also says Schumer is still holding out hope for action on voting rights this year. They are hoping for an agreement on a rules change between four moderates who have been Meeting, that's Tester, Kane, King, and Manchin. I think we can uh, debate whether some of those are moderates. But nonetheless, uh, she concludes by saying a spokesman to Schumer, however, says they are still trying to do both. But uh, be curious to see what kind of rule change could actually make the voting thing happen, since uh, you would normally need 60 votes for that. And Manchin has committed to not changing the filibuster in cinema as well. Over at CNN, Manu Raju, talks between Manchin and Biden are not going well on Build Back Better. A huge sticking point, the child tax credit. Manchin wants it cut. Source says he wants to zero it out. They are very far apart, sources say. Uh, This kills, uh, Manu Raju says, any hope of getting the bill done by Christmas, as Schumer had hoped. Biden and Manchin, not close to a deal. So, Jim, uh, we already see uh, some tweets that progressives are livid because a lot of them uh, ultimately went along with the infrastructure bill, which they claim, you know, didn't go far enough. Uh, and now that uh, Manchin is not going along with this, they feel betrayed, at least for the moment. But, you know, kick it into next year. Keep kicking it down the road. Uh, eventually, uh, it could die as you get closer and closer to midterm elections. At least that's our hope. But uh, if it doesn't get done this year, it's a huge, huge sigh of relief for conservatives. Greg, 
I saw that news and I was reminded of the lyric from Hamilton. You don't have the votes. You don't have the votes. You're going to need congressional approval and you don't have the votes. Um, it is a lovely gloating little tune uh, and it seems to fit in these circumstances. Um, I, I shared this with a couple of my colleagues and, and I said, look, well, we were, we were expecting this, but this is good news to see it you know, coming out anyway. And one of my colleagues asked, well, we expected this. And I pointed out like, look, it's December 15th. You really should be shopping for your Christmas presents by now. The idea, so if you can't get a, you know your your gifts done by delivered by December twenty fifth, the odds of getting this giant massive piece of legislation passed by December twenty fifth was not great. You know, you're they're running out of twenty twenty one, so the odds of it being passed this year, meaning in twenty twenty one, was not terribly likely. The odds of it getting kicked to sometime in twenty twenty two seemed likely because that's only sixteen days away. But I think the the uh, second bit of news from Manu Raju is probably the more significant one uh, in the sense that, look, we all know the obstacle, the primary obstacle is Manchin. Uh, Kirsten Cinema seems to be a, you know, it's, you know, I'm going to say secondary, but let's just say, you know, adjacent obstacle. And that's what is keeping this from getting passed through the Senate. And once you have a deal that Manchin and Cinema can live with, the odds of it getting paid, you know, the odds are very good that the House Democrats would say, fine, let's pass that version. This thing would get uh, sent to the president's desk. So this is a setback for Democrats. It is an indicator that despite all of the effort, despite all of the pressure, despite all of the lobbying, despite the lunatics chasing Kirsten Cinema into the bathroom, <clears throat> despite the you know folks in canoes pro, you know, waving signs and protesting uh, at Manchin's houseboat, no. They don't have a deal. They don't are close. They aren't just like they aren't close to a deal. And one of my other colleagues made the observation that if they're going to try to bring up the voting rights bill, that's a sign that they're not picking up Build Back Better quickly. Probably not till February, March at the earliest. Now, the interesting thing is going to be um, my, my suspicion is, is that as the midterm elections get closer, Democrats see that this is going to be a <clears throat> red wave, red tsunami, you know, whichever metaphor you prefer, I think they'll end up passing something. I think at some point Schumer and, and maybe Biden and Pelosi will go to Manchin and Cinema and say, okay, look at the long list of stuff and build back better. Tell us what's okay with you and we'll pass that stuff. And I think you'll end up with a bill that's maybe it's only a trillion or maybe it's less than a trillion. Maybe it's a bit more than a trillion, but it'll be significantly smaller than the, I think it was Bernie Sanders wanted six trillion. Uh, for conservatives, that's something of a win. You you manage to stop that, but in the you know in a 50-50 Senate, um, but it's not like the, you know we look at the inflation numbers and you look at everything else in the economy. It's not like we need another massive spending bill on top of the trillion dollar infrastructure spending bill we just did. Um, so I, my suspicion is that long term Democrats will probably pass something before next year's midterms. It'll probably be much smaller than they wanted. Um, but I think coming home completely empty handed would be just too much for them because they know this is probably the last time they're going to have all Democratic control of government for a good long while. Yeah, that's certainly uh, the way it looks right now, although Democrats in, in blue states are doing their very best to absurdly gerrymander congressional districts in order to give themselves the best chance of of hanging on to the House. But uh, Joe Manchin, uh, fascinating here. I mean, he's a guy who has said he wants to see how inflation is going to play out before he does anything. We've just seen year over year inflation at its highest level in nearly 40 years. And so for him to uh, even entertain the idea of spending this much money right now, especially when the pay-fors are so gimmicky, not to mention just the entitlement programs that would just give government more and more power, 
you wonder how serious he is about that if he actually still goes forward with it. But at the moment, he's uh, he's doing the right thing. So we need to give him credit for that. And the Democrats uh, definitely taking a black eye at the moment. So happy about that. All right. Let's talk about something that's even happier, Jim. Not only do you get phenomenal news like that on this Wednesday in the middle of December, just 10 days before Christmas, but you get to hear that news and talk about it. Listeners, I'm going to put you, you know, I'm going to take the microphone in my hand and I'm going to recline back. I'm reclining back here, a little bit of a creak there, right? Okay. Now I'm going to reach back. I'm going to turn on, let's see, where's the button for the vibrating? Oh, there we go. I have the option of massaging. I have the option of heat. I have the option of cooling. And besides that, besides the extraordinary comfort, you can adjust the neck, you can adjust the arms, you can get it exactly the way you like to take care of your back, take care of your neck, your shoulders. Look, we all know sitting at a desk is probably for a whole bunch of us an inevitable part of our jobs. You got to do it. You're not quite handcuffed there, but it's part of, you know, you, you, you can't walk around while typing on your laptop or your computer or something like that. So take care of yourself, take care of your back. You don't want to have any of those issues and pain at the end of the day. If during the, the pandemic, you had to work at the kitchen table, you probably learned your kitchen table, your kitchen chair was not meant to be sat in for hours and hours at a time. Trust me, you will take, you will want this. You will take care of your back. It will take care of you and you'll be a happier person for it. Ask Santa for a next chair or failing that, take some of that, you know, maybe somebody gave you a little cash for the holidays. Maybe you got a bonus. Maybe I'll go out, get the X chair. You can thank me later. And it's an excellent time to buy the X chair because here is X chair's holiday deal for you. Save $100 off the X chair just by purchasing it through us at xchairmartini.com. Now that's the letter X chair, M-A-R-T-I-N-I.com. X-Chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 per month. Go to xchairmartini.com and save xchairmartini.com. All right, Jim, let's move to our second piece of good news now, and this is also a very big deal. Biden, when was it? August, September, it's been a while ago that he uh, ordered his vaccine mandate not only for federal workers, federal contractors, but also for employees of private businesses of 100 employees or more. Well, that immediately got taken to court. And so far, I'm pretty sure Biden's lost in every federal court hearing or very close to it. Uh, the, The decisions are not going in his favor. Uh, He already pushed it back to January for implementation so uh, businesses wouldn't get uh, even more harmed by losing personnel right in the crunch of the holiday sales. Uh, But now even corporations are saying, you know, uh, I don't think we're going to go along with this. First of all, it was Disney who started to and then backed off. And the latest, Jim, and I think this is significant, especially with Joe Biden, it's his beloved Amtrak. Amtrak uh, issuing a statement saying, Look, uh, we've prioritized vaccines. We've pushed it. Uh, The vast majority of our people are vaxxed. We think uh, when we include people who have gotten at least one shot, it's 97.3%. It's probably fewer than 500 employees not in compliance. But you know what? We're going to revert to our original vaccine policy. We want people to get vaxxed. But if you don't want to, we're just going to test you and go from there. And so therefore, we're not going to abide by the mandate. Jim, I'm not sure there's a uh, a business on the planet that would deal a more personal blow on this policy to Joe Biden than Amtrak. Yeah, I, I was going to say, he, you know, he likes to insist people call him Amtrak Joe, which maybe they do call him that. I don't know. I think usually they call him Senator Biden back when he was a senator or <laughs> Vice President Biden when he was Vice President. 
He also liked to insist people called him middle-class Joe. And they did look this up in both LexisNexis and all available newspaper and other archives. The only record of anyone ever calling Joe Biden middle-class Joe is in him insisting other people call him this. There is no evidence anyone has ever called him middle-class Joe. Look, I, I've gotten my booster. Uh, I think people should go out and get get vaccinated, get boosters. But I really don't like the idea of firing people if they have not gotten boosted or if they uh, have not gotten their vaccines yet. First of all, there is such a thing as natural immunity. People get COVID, their body builds up antibodies. And those antibodies stay in their system for a pretty long while. Um, I just think more broadly also, I'm not comfortable. I, I really would either see the government never force you to put something into your body that you don't want, or if, you know, minimize that. And, you know, yes, I understand there are vaccine requirements for kids. You know, it's people generally, at least until Jenny McCarthy came along, generally it wasn't all that controversial. You know, you have your kid, you get them preschool, you take them to the pediatrician. Pediatrician says your, your child needs these shots. They get the shots, everything turns on. It's only when Jenny McCarthy is like, no, no, people, I need, I need an explanation for why my child has autism and that idiotic article in The Lancet all those years ago. That's what set off at least the modern era of anti-vaccine movements. And now we've got COVID-19. And after telling people for you know months and months, look, it's going to take several years to create a COVID-19 vaccine, you know, Operation Warp Speed, they managed to get it done in a year. So unsurprisingly, there's some people out there who even though... I think we're now at like more than 200 million Americans are fully vaccinated. I think we're now up to like 230 some, 230 million or so have, you know, at least one shot. You notice you're not seeing people killing over in the streets. Ah, I got the vaccine, you know, look, they're safe. But if you happen to have concerns, talk to your doctor, don't get your advice from a podcast host. Um, and, you know, go out and, and I, I prefer everybody to do that, but I don't want to see people getting fired. And it really seems absurd uh, particularly at a time when our hospitals felt uh, overworked. You had a lot of burnout for a lot of people who work, you know, nurses, doctors, technicians, people who uh, had been working, you know, through the pandemic and life and death situations day after day, week after week, month after month. Look, I prefer those folks were, were vaccinated, but unless you can replace those people easily, and they're not exactly, nurses don't grow on trees. Good nurses don't grow on trees. It seemed a little wrongheaded to me to say, well, we're going to fire these people if they've chosen not to get vaccinated, particularly medical workers were the ones most likely to catch COVID. There's an excellent chance they have natural immunity and they want to, you know, continue going with natural immunity. It didn't strike me as the sort of thing you'd want to get rid of people. And then you apply this all across the entire government. And I, the whole time, because it was taking them such a long time to write up this Occupational Safety and Hazard Administration regulation, that a whole bunch of us thought, this is bluffing. This is the administration uh, rattling the saber and wanting to get people to get vaccinated, to get them fear that they'll lose their jobs, but they have no intention of actually putting this into practice. Well, after two months, they did say, yes, here they are, here are the regulations, and they're going to take go into effect two months from now. Um, the rules for the federal uh, government went into a quicker effect. Uh, Greg, I don't know if we've discussed this, but you may have noticed that if you are an employee of the federal government and you are not vaccinated, do you know what they're going to do? Nothing yet. I said, they're not going to fire you. Good heavens. We don't <laughs> fire federal workers. Didn't anyone read the weed agency? You can't get fired. You have to be an axe murderer. And even then, there's probably a union group. No. Um, what happened there is they said, well, if you're not vaccinated, we're going to give you education and counseling, which I believe they're going to probably take you down to HR and say, hey, you really should get vaccinated. And the unvaccinated federal workers say, well, I don't want to. And uh, I assume HR will say, well, think about it. <laughs> <laughs> then they'll go back over and over again. In other words, you know, the idea that you know, if, if we're going to have a, if, if we're going to have a get a vaccine or get fired mandate, by golly, I want federal workers to be the first ones, you know, to have feel that enforcement. 
But now it's like, nah, we're not going to do that. Look, actually going through with this and firing a certain portion of your workforce because they're not vaccinated starts to become headaches. And I'm, but it's also worth noting, you know, in the, in the you know, 95, 97, in a lot of these institutions, 90% or so are, are now already gone out and got their shots. So now the question is, can you live without 2% of your workforce? Can you live without 3% of your workforce? How quickly can you replace 5 to 10% of your workforce? And it's a little tougher when they're cops. It's a little tougher when they're firemen. It's a little tougher, you know. And after a whole bunch, you know, it turns out if you, at least at one point, Amtrak engineers, they could not run the trains on time to the extent they, you know, technically are considered to be running the trains on time now, uh, that they couldn't do it, that they're going to have to reduce service on some routes because they just didn't have enough workers who had complied with the requirement to get vaccinated yet. I think we've gotten a whole bunch of Americans va vaccinated. This is good. I think we should be encouraging people. I think we should be nudging people. I think if you, um, if you're somebody you care about who's not vaccinated, you should just reach out. Don't lecture them. Don't yell at them. Just say, look, I I'd hate to see anything happen to you. This vaccine can protect you. Um, if they're naturally boost, if they've got natural immunity, you can say, okay, just look, the booster's probably, you know, getting a shot will probably give you a little more. Might make a little, little, little extra protection there. Probably can't hurt. Ask them, you know, Ask them if they have questions, reach out, be gentle. And if they come to a different conclusion, let them make that choice. Let them go on their journey to, to find the right way. I, I know it can be frustrating. I know it can drive you crazy. But if you yell at them, you, you lecture them, you try to wag their finger, you tell them they're bad people, they're just going to dig in their heels further. If lecturing people or berating people could get them to change their minds, these people will be vaccinated by now. So just, just go into it recognizing that. So I think the I'm pro, super, super pro-vaccine, very anti-vaccine mandates. And I'm clear, you know, there's a part of me that's chuckling on the inside as the Biden administration belatedly realizes, despite everyone warning them this, oh, hey, enforcing these mandates is a lot harder than it seemed when we first came up with the idea. He knew that from the get-go. Just like rent moratoriums, he just did it anyway. <laughs> just to see who's going to fight him on it. And guess what? A lot of people fought him on it, and they're kicking his butt in court and in uh, in the corporate boardrooms now, it looks like, as well. But yeah, I mean, no mention of natural immunity. And either way, uh, this is not a place where the government should be uh, mandating that you lose jobs and stuff. It's just, just completely absurd. All right, Jim. Well, hopefully everybody who's got a job can keep their job, and the government's not going to twist the arm of their employers to force them out of it. It's certainly looking like that's going to be the case, that this mandate's not going to happen. But uh, when it comes to keeping your job and, and making that money, you obviously want to put some away, invest for the future. That's how you get that wealth to grow and save for retirement and uh, all those other things you need to do, pay for higher education, etc. And uh, one of the best ways to do that is investing in gold and silver. I mean, look, the, the value of gold and silver has gone up a lot, especially in the past couple of decades, uh, and it's still going up. And so now might be a great time to do it. And if you want to explore that arena, you do not want to go anywhere else than Universal Coin and Bullion. Universal Coin and Bullion is offering our listeners a special locked-in price of just $30 for a beautiful one-ounce 2021 American Silver Eagle coin, the most popular coin in the world for collectors and investors. This limited offer is available at dealer's cost because Universal Coin wants you to own the first newly designed silver bullion coin since President Reagan signed the Gold Bullion Act in 1985. Call Universal Coin, the leaders in the precious metals industry, at 1-800-UCB-GOLD to get your beautiful U.S. Mint silver coin for only $30. Postage is free and you'll be dealing with the experts. Can't stress that expertise enough. Dr. Mike Fulgens and his team at uh, Universal Coin and Bullion 
are the best there is. I mean, counterfeiting experts for the government come to Dr. Mike Fulgens for advice on how to do their job even better. You can't get any better than him and his team at Universal Coin and Bullion. He's America's gold expert as uh, assigned by the U.S. government. He's also the 2021 Coin Dealer of the Year. They also have rare gold coins, but the special silver deal only available using our code Martini when you call 800-UCB-GOLD. That's 800-UCB-GOLD. All right, Jim, another day, another crazy martini, another trip to the White House briefing room. Yesterday, we had Jen Psaki uh, talking about how the CBO score was fake because the bill doesn't exist, but you still got to pass it. Well, as we learned earlier today, maybe it's not going to get passed. Certainly not anytime uh, really soon. At least we hope that's the case. Yesterday, the issue came up on rising prices and Jim, just like so many other issues, there's so many different explanations for why this keeps happening. And of course, it's never uh, the administration's fault. First of us, just, you know, the economy's great because we've got excess consumer demand and everybody's racing to catch up. And so it's uh, just, just a matter of that. Uh, then it was OPEC. OPEC won't cooperate, so gas prices are higher than they should be. And now meat prices are much higher than they were not that long ago. And Jen Psaki says it's all a matter of the greedy meat conglomerates. Here's what she said. The president thinks the way people across the country, American families, uh, digest inflation is by price increases. And if you look at industry to industry, it's a little different. So, for example, the president, the secretary of agriculture have both spoken to what we've seen as the greed of meat conglomerates. Now, Jim, there are large meat companies, if you want to call them conglomerates, I guess you can. I mean, agribusiness is a is a very real thing, and uh, they, they control a lot of the industry. Uh, but keep in mind, these slaughterhouses and processing plants got crushed last year. So if they're making a little bit more profit now on top of inflation, uh, that's probably why it's happening, to, to make up for the losses of last year. But the idea that it's not policies from this administration and other factors completely unrelated to the meat industry that are driving these prices up predominantly is absurd. Now, ironically, Greg, uh, at my younger son's elementary school, meat conglomerates is actually the special today. Um, <laughs> not very, not very appetizing. It's in this thick, murky, heavy sauce. But they said meat conglomerates. So, hey, sounds terrific. Also, uh, it's probably a very commonly used joke by the time you listen to this podcast. But I don't know about you. I did see meat conglomerates open up open for corn back in 1997. <laughs> meat conglomerates. Um, not Omaha Steaks, I'll tell you that. They're not one part of the meat conglomerates. You know. uh, so here's the, you know, as you observe, it's very, you know, if every time the prices go up in a category and the administration insists, it's not our fault, it's this big evil corporate you know, con you know, conspiracy. And you know, it's all, you think, okay, well, if that's the case, remember when lumber when prices went up really, really high? Yeah. Uh, was that a case of lumber, big lumber conglomerates <laughs> working together? Because you may have heard, listeners, that I had my that we had our kitchen redone. And by the end of it, because of the price of lumber, it would have been cheaper if we'd made it out of used Lamborghini parts. That's the you know, it's if that's the case, why are we seeing the same thing with gas? Oh, that's right. It's evil oil companies going up. Okay, let's go to the grocery store. And how about all the other non-stuff that was was going up for meat? Um God, I tried to fill a grocery. I filled up one grocery bag the other day. It was like thirty some dollars. It was not super duper fancy, uh, fancy stuff. And it wasn't meat, ironically, that I was buying that time. If you're seeing prices go up all across the board, then maybe it's not you know evil companies working together or something like that. It's it's it you know at that point oh it's it's evil vegetable companies too. It's evil cheese companies too. It's every every food producer and just to say, at some point it stops being a secret conspiracy and it starts being oh. 
everybody's seeing the same uh, price pressures. Everybody's seeing the same higher costs for labor. Everybody's seeing the higher costs of regulations. Everybody's seeing the same higher costs of transporting goods from one place to another because fuel costs are up. You know, you know what you call that? Inflation. It's not an evil conspiracy. Um, it's a, the latest rate of lame excuse making. And, I, you know, somebody had this observation about uh, presidencies, particularly when they go two terms. Your first group is your, uh, to use a parallel to the NFL draft, because yes, folks, it's December and football season. Jim's already thinking about the NFL draft for next year. <laughs> um, you, you're, you're, when a new president comes to town, uh, the folks who he selects are his first round draft choice. Right? Those, those are the best. These are the people who are most excited. It's a new president, new era, new opportunity to do big things and get stuff passed. And then after a year or two, you start seeing people moving on. These are high burnout jobs, particularly after the midterms. Midterms usually go bad. And that's when you start seeing people heading towards the exits. Um, some people hang on for the first term. And then if the president gets reelected, that's when you start seeing a lot of churn. Some folks are going to serve the full eight years, uh, a couple of cabinet secretaries here and there. But by and large, White House staff, people last in these jobs a couple of years. They're working crazy hours. They're making enormous sacrifices and not hanging around their families. That's what you do. Um, but then, by the, and then like the last two years of, it, of an eight-year presidency, that's when you see the C team, the D team, and the leftovers. Everybody else is getting ready to try to suck up to the next president. That's when you got the, you know, the, the dregs are there. Somebody observed that like for Joe Biden, you had the Obama A team, B team, C team. And the folks who are with Biden now are the folks who were really technically the Obama D team or E team, further down from that, that actually these aren't as good as the folks who were in the, the Obama administration back in 2009, 2010. And I think as you see this kind of spin from Jen Psaki, who had a bunch of positions with the uh, Obama administration, they don't seem super duper competent. They don't seem like the best and brightest. They don't seem like um, just in terms of, you know, your political basic blocking and tackling to continue this, uh, this football metaphor. Um, they just don't seem that good at what they're doing. And this kind of lame spin and this kind of reflexive defensiveness and excuse making and finger pointing and all that kind of stuff, this suggests that we really are, um, you know, to, to paraphrase a former president, Greg, when it comes to Democrats get into office, they're not sending their best. <laughs> Yeah, Jen Psaki was in the Obama administration. In fact, my favorite picture ever of Jen Psaki is her when everybody's dressed in black the day after the 2016 election and she's standing behind Obama as he's making his comments in the Rose Garden. And she, looks, she just looks miserable because Hillary lost. But uh, nonetheless, yeah, there's two factors here, I think. Number one, obviously the administration is not going to accept any responsibility for this. So they're just basically flailing and saying, ah, it's their fault. Uh, and the other part is I think there's a war on meat. Because remember, eating beef, of course, is uh, is how we're all killing the planet because we're raising more beef cattle and, you know, their gas emissions, their methane is uh, uh, somehow killing us all. And so not only are we going to supposedly stop eating meat, but we're going to have to kill all the cattle. And just this week, we toyed around with a crazy martini of people uh, suggesting that in the future, uh, if we really want to help save the planet, we got to eat burgers made out of mealworms and maggots. Not happening. End your war on meat and order from Omaha Steaks. There you go. And just to summarize my <laughs> philosophy on this, you eat bugs. <laughs> yes. I'm not eating bugs. If you, I, 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 I don't know if that's a price. I, that wouldn't be my, my first explanation for higher prices because my attitude is let somebody out there decides to go vegan. Okay, fine. It's a free country. You go do what you want. They're not buying it. Should be reducing demand and should make the price lower for me. So I kind of right. like that. Yeah. But I, I, I certainly haven't seen that. So that should that should as if it is a factor, it should be reducing demand, not um, 
uh, not increasing it. So I, I don't think that's what's going on here, but uh, I'm certainly welcome to uh, uh, hear from meat industry experts about the meat conglomerates. <laughs> Big meat. All Big right. Meat. <laughs> on, that, on that note, Jim, we will do this again tomorrow. See you then. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Uh, please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. Tell your friends about us as well. Very, very grateful for your kind reviews and your five-star ratings. Get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. Jim is at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Wednesday, and please join us on Thursday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Hi, this is Greg Corumbus, and I'm here with Dr. Mike Fulgens. He's the president of Universal Coin and Bullion. Mike was recently named the 2021 Dealer of the Year by the American Numismatic Association. Mike, obviously the economy is pretty uncertain right now. Uh, inflation concerns are front and center. So how can owning gold and silver coins really provide folks some peace of mind these days? Well, gold typically goes up in times when other investments go down. Experts call it a negative beta. And the World Gold Council has shown in studies that a portfolio that has 10 to 20% weighted in gold outperforms one that doesn't. So think of it as life insurance for the rest of your portfolio. And I predict gold will break $2,000 next year due to the increasing national debt, inflation, and the increased spending we're seeing happening with the infrastructure bills that passed and are hopeful to be passed by the Democrats. Dr. Mike Fulgens is recognized as America's gold expert by the U.S. government. Contact Mike and his team of professionals at Universal Coin and Bullion to own your gold and silver coins now. Call 1-800-UCB-GOLD.